0: Hey, dealmakers, and welcome to the show where it's all about financial freedom with real estate. I'm your host, Garrett Lynch, and as always, let's get ready to own it. You're listening to the Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing Podcast, hosted by Garrett Lynch and Michael Blanc, where we talk all about how you can achieve financial independence through apartment building investing. Whether you're just starting out or you want to scale your syndication business, this is the show for you. This is the show. So this is a solo episode backed by popular demand. I am going to tell you how I became a millionaire starting as a D-class property slumlord. So I'm going to just share you some secrets that reshape my destiny and then they might actually reshape yours too and give give you some wisdom into some of the things that I did that did and didn't work. But before we get into that, I want to give a shout out to Flex Market Man with Apple Podcasts. He said, this podcast shares great content. Keep up the good work. If you guys enjoy this podcast and would like to get shouted out, please leave us a review and help uh, our listeners find us. Success highlight from student our students is Jared Joplin. He's a first deal maker. He closed on 33 units in San Marcos, Texas. The deal was valued at $3 million. If you guys have done a deal, tag us on social media or email us at support at themichaelblanc.com, and uh, we'll add you in here in an episode. Welcome to the latest episode of the Financial Freedom with the Real Estate Podcast. I got started early in apartment building investing, navigated the challenges of selling D-class properties, and turned them into a gold mine, which propelled me into the Millionaire's Club. I'm gonna show you the secrets of how I scale my business, and I'm gonna motivate you to excel in your own real estate endeavors tune in to hear me get personal about real estate investing. So, guys, I was pretty much a troubled kid. When I was between the ages of 16 and 18, I made my parents go crazy in high school. I was just a a disaster. I was always partying, underage, and causing problems, getting in trouble with the police. It all kind of came to a uh, pinnacle when I, thought it would be fun to maybe try to steal a cop car and drive it into a tree, almost like one of the movies, uh, which is kind of a wild story in itself. But that was like the pinnacle of the worst things that I had ever done. It was probably one of the worst things, right? And ended up getting arrested. My parents thought I had a terrible future. I I was just lost. I didn't know what to do. So because of that event, what happened was I had to pay restitution for the cop car that I had damaged, which was like $10,000. And I was in the, it was the summer I was supposed to go to college. So I went to college. I was trying to go to college, and my parents were like, listen, we're not paying this. You're going to have to figure out how to pay it yourself or you're not going to college. And I had already made it into Illinois State University, and I was ready to go. Here I had this thing on my record, and I owed the the state $10,000 and I had no money. Like you're making at that point in your life, you're making like 3K a summer working some odd job. I was doing landscaping at the time. So I started, I had a buddy who got into knife sales and he had hit everyone, cuckoo. He, he'd hit everyone, literally my parents and all their friends and everything. And so I didn't even think about doing that until I had a, an additional motivation to do so. I really wasn't gonna go to college. So I got involved in the, in the knife sales game. And I'm not talking about like hunting knives and, you know, just, it, it sounds kind of weird to go door to door to sell knives, but it was kitchen knives, really high class kitchen knife product called Cutco through a company called Vector marketing and I was like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm just going to take this seriously and see what I can do. And maybe I can make enough money to get me out of this hole that I'm in. So I did that. I, I followed their program. I took it seriously. It was hard. I'd never done sales before. I didn't know how it goes. I mean, the way that their system's set up is you you get warm leads from the person you meet with. you have to be good at doing that in order to get new leads to continue forward? Most people, they quit after their parents and their family friends because they're just like, ah, screw this. But I stuck with it because I had to and figured out that I was pretty good at it. And, and so that went through that summer. At the end of the summer, I had made $15,000 as a new college kid, high school graduate, but it allowed me to go to college. So I had paid off the 10K, I had another 5K to spend, and I was allowed to go. Later got that expunged, never got arrested again. And then every summer since then, I'd had something to do with Cucko. I opened an office one summer. I got really into sales. And so I think that laid the foundation for me to have that skill set. So it doesn't matter if I'm negotiating now a large contract or um. A vendor dispute or something else that comes up i have that skill set one time it's funny michael wanted me to i had no idea what this product was it was it was like a domain michael really wanted this domain for for something he was launching and he's like listen man i everyone's tried they can't get this guy to budge off twenty thousand dollars and i was like all right let me try i don't know i've never never dealt with domains before i figured out a method that made sense and I had eventually got his second choice for domain. and i got I got the guy down, I think like three k from twenty k. And he ended up selling it. And so that was just like another like, wow, i've I really got the skills for for these types of things. So I'd say that's the number one skill set that's propelled me through a lot. And my brothers, they followed behind me because that's that's just what brothers do sometimes. And they got into knife selling too. They've gone on to have great careers and they're really good at sales. They can sell pretty much anything. It doesn't matter where you put them, they're gonna be able to sell it. And that that was true for me as well. So when I went to college, I got really into the fraternity life and I was was holding board seats and things like that, which sounds like kind of laughable, but it was really actually hard to run a house full of idiots that were drunk all the time and get them to do things. So I had to figure out how to do that. They're not being paid anything. They're paying to be there. They don't care. Like so, getting them to try to motivate them it was a skill that I learned through that my time there. But I also figured out that I was really good at throwing events. And so one time I threw. There was this. There was this event in college called May Day, and it was like the grainy, uh, like uh, one of those those pictures. What are those pictures that come out? I forget what they're called, but whatever. You take a picture, and it comes out of the camera. And then there was a grainy one of those laying around and it was of this like mystical party and no one had brought it, being able to bring it back in like 20 years. Too much red tape, it was too crazy. The university had to sign off, the city had to sign off and it was, you couldn't raise money. So I ended up raising, you you couldn't sell tickets, you couldn't get money to fund it. I ended up going to all the businesses and selling them banners at the event, getting money for the event through that. And then I used that $10,000 to basically fund the stage and the, fencing and the security and all that stuff. We ended up throwing the party. And it was one of the happiest moments ever. It took me like six months of working on it to get it to work. And like 5,000 people showed up. There's only 30,000 people at the school. So it was like pretty crazy event for me. So I thought after that, I'm like, you know what? I wanna go into, let's go into like this business. Maybe I, Maybe I can do something with this. I have some skills. So when I graduated college, I went live with my family and I popped up a website. I've just always kind of had a knack for being an entrepreneur, started like a promotion company. And I soon realized that I was gonna be a promoter downtown Chicago or something like that for nightclubs. And I thought that was a cool thing. I got into it and then I was like, this is a little weird. And then there was a guy that showed me there's a different way of doing it and so i there is a position available where you can go and be the vip concierge for really wealthy people and i was like that sounds interesting you know i don't want to be this promoter making five bucks a head that comes This is that's not going to make me rich so what can i do well i can be in a position of value to really high net worth people and if i get into that position maybe i have uh, a shot at meeting some great people or rising through the ranks or whatever it is so figured out how to get hired by a nightclub downtown chicago they hired me as a vip host i didn't know anyone didn't know what i was doing it was very uncomfortable in the beginning and then they had this floor plan at the club that i was at where it was like it's kind of like in like a c and if you started at like the letter C, you started at the bottom of the club at those tables you were a rookie and you didn't know what you were doing. And then all the the high-end hosts made it all the way to the, the top of the C. And there's different table sections. And so there were and there were like five hosts. So I started all the way in the back, had to figure out how to get people interested in coming, getting their numbers, building the the Rolodex. Pretty soon people started to call me. Next thing I knew, I was getting pretty crazy calls from celebrities and I was getting like, I think, I don't know, like hockey was blowing up at the time and I got like Jonathan Taze and Patrick Kane texting me and it was just like, it was pretty crazy. I was like, and it, this is Chicago, it's not Vegas. So Vegas is different, but I found some like really wealthy people along the way. But when I got into this, I soon realized, I was like, you know what, this, this is gonna be short lived because I can't be doing this. What I wanna have a kids, I wanna have a family someday. I don't wanna be Running around the nightclubs, chasing girls and doing all this stuff for, for very long. This is it's fun for now. But what I did was I looked at the person that was in the highest position inside of that organization. And I said, What is their life like? And do I want something similar to that? And I looked at the owner of the club that I worked for and I was like, This guy's miserable. He's older, he's got a wife, he's got a kid, he cheats on her all the time, is not happy or whatever. Or I didn't it was it was like just a terrible lifestyle. And I'm like, this isn't what I want. I don't want to be that miserable guy that just wants to be in bed and not out, out at a nightclub on the weekends and then working during the day for it. This is not the end. Like if this is the height, I, I'm not doing it. So I started to work on my exit plan, but I had access to all these people. And this is where relationships really come in into play. It's not the relationships you have, it's what you do with them. So you may have some of those, but what are you actually doing with them? To to make something of yourself. So I had this the sales skills. I had the relationships. Now I had to figure out something. So I had one client and he was a younger guy and he was going nuts buying tons of really expensive bottles of champagne on the weekends and whatever. And I was I became friends with them. And there was a period of time where he was interested in going out a lot. And I and I had an open room and I asked him to come live with me. And he went out, we went out every night and I was like, well, what do you do? And he's like, well, I, I own you know, X amount of houses and, and, and it's like a, a ton of real estate. And I was like, whoa, that's crazy. How did, you, how did you get into that? Started picking his brain while he was living with me. For, and then by the end of that, it was like a 20 day period. By the end of that, I convinced him to let me work with him. And so we went to work for this guy that was wholesaling deals on the south side of Chicago, like like nasty areas, buying deals, flipping them, um, selling them to investors in Canada and other places that wanted to get into the real estate game. This is like 2011, maybe even earlier than that. And, and so I started basically selling his buildings for him by finding leads on, online and, and those leads we would convert and turn into sales and then I'd get paid, but didn't end up working out. It was tough, but I learned the South side and I learned a little bit about real estate. So I had kind of the groundwork laid a little bit. And I was like, you know, I've, my whole life I've always had a side hustle. I've always had, I've been pivoting through different, I was in sales and I was in the nightclub and I was in in real estate. It's like, you know, I bet you there's something at the end of this, if I just stick with it, even though this didn't work out with this opportunity, let's see what else I can do. And so. I ended up getting hired by this guy that had a thousand apartments. And I, I got it, was, it was like 60K a year. And I only worked with him for six months. But in that six month timeframe, my buddy who got me the job and me, we ended up learning the bigger game. We're like, oh, this is how you do it. We realized that we had access to people that had money through the, the other gig that we had going on and just, just in general. And so we started our own company. But it, we were scared. We were really scared to start our own company. So finally, we had a, a major life event that kind of pushed us into that. We had, we got, I got caught up in a Ponzi scheme and lost all my money. I lost everything. I think I was 25 at the time. And I was literally paying my rent on a credit card. I was like, oh no, but I couldn't keep working for this guy for 60K. I just learned what he did. So we are like, you know what, let's open an LLC and let's start this company. And that, and that, we started it right then after that big Ponzi scheme event that happened. The guy is still in the news. Now, he, he just got busted like seven years later. I didn't even know that it was a Ponzi scheme until recently, but crazy. That's a different crazy story for another time. So we got we got going and we were like, you know what? Let's try to buy our first portfolio of Southside properties because we know the Southside. We know what things go for. It's local. It makes sense. We could probably run these things. Let's do it. So we started buying these portfolios of like single families, two flats, three flats. We didn't care where they were. They, as long as they were in the south south or west side of Chicago, they were cheap. They had good rents. We could it looked like low-hanging fruit on the numbers. When you're in the numbers, it look phenomenal. But what you don't see on D-class stuff is you don't see that these residents are going to be destroying your properties. Left and right, and then losing their jobs, not paying—like all kinds of problems, right? So we, but the numbers look good. So we bought first portfolio. We're like, wow, this is great. Bought another one, bought another one. Scaled up to about three hundred units using other people's money in the south side through our connections that we had. We had a couple like bigger investors, and then one guy that acted kind of like a GP with us that would just bring money out of Florida. Every deal we did, we we had more interest. We were able to find the money and that started to, to scale up. And then we had 300 apartments in the south side and west side, the worst locations you could possibly imagine. And I'm having to go and help oversee these. The third party managers, we tried multiple and they were all terrible because there's too many things to do at D-Class. If you own D-Class, you have to self-manage because it's the only way. You have to, be, you have to pay attention to every little detail and you're going to get charged an arm and a leg to do all the things that need to get done to get these properties to work. So it wasn't long after we owned these that we ended up going vertical right away and hiring people to help us run the portfolio. And I was down there all the time, like every day, going into the hood and helping us run the property. I just had to leave before it got dark. So the, the challenge with the hood is that after a certain hour, it's pretty dead. It's not like the like the deep, deep hood. And Chicago, I think is one of the worst hoods. It turns into like the purge after a certain hour. If you're interested in passively investing in multifamily syndications, we'd love to hear from you. Go to nighthawkequity.com click the join button and join our investment club. Fill out a short form and then you can have a call with us and we'd be happy to share with you some of our upcoming investment opportunities we have. That's nighthawkequity.com Talk to you soon. So when it gets to... Let's say, I I don't know, it starts to get darker on like five or six at the, depending on what time of year, people start to come out. They start to walk in front of the cars to to sit on the porch. They start firing. You hear gunshots. They hear all kinds of things. And that's when it gets scary. So I had to jump out of the city before it got to that point. If I didn't, it would be problematic. So I would manage during the day. Everything was fine. And then, we would essentially leave at night, and and that was that worked for a while. I didn't I didn't carry a gun or anything like that because it's it was difficult to get them, and you couldn't even conceal carry at the time till the very end, just when I got one. But I didn't need it. I did have an axe that I would carry around sometimes to to just protect myself, but that's about it. And after we bought those units in the south side, I cut my teeth on the management and the operational side. So I really learned a lot about how to operate to really tough properties. wasn't long before we went to look for bigger buildings. So we went to, we found a, next building was a 32 unit in, in one of the suburbs. Then we found a 70 unit. Then we found a 50 unit. We bought all those and we're like, okay, what else is out there? So we started scouring the country. Next thing we knew, we found a 380 unit and it was in Memphis and it only costs a little bit more than the recent 120 unit we picked up in Davenport, Iowa. We were just buying wherever. We didn't even have good underwriting. We we were just like, if you can, we can buy an asset that's between like 20 and 35 a door, let's do it. Because there's no way we can lose. That's what, That was our, our mindset at the time. It wouldn't be true today. But at the time, it was actually working. So we were buying all over in Davenport, Iowa, the South Side, the suburbs. Then we looked at Memphis. We're like, okay, Memphis. This was a... Four million dollar three hundred and eighty unit property. So I think that's like 17k a door. And we were like, we gotta do this. This is crazy. We can't believe we were gonna buy this. And we did. We went and slapped some money, put some hard money up, and then got screwed by the the bridge lender at closing, like reamed us through the coals on the terms, changed everything up and screwed us. And so that was a hard relationship to deal with. But the the scary part was the property itself was a giant, gang-infested, ridiculous property that we had. I had to figure out how to operate. That's where you guys hear. There's another podcast that I did where I talked about that specific property. And I, I won't go into too many details, but it, w- it needed to be cleaned up big time because it was just overrun by gang violence. So Figured out how to run that property, finally got it up to where it needed to be at its peak revenue, or it should have been. And then the revenue, we weren't actually booking the revenue. We're like, the occupancy's up, why is the revenue not gone up? We found out the entire staff that's been there, most of them for over a decade was stealing everybody. Had to fire everybody that that brought it up, that knew it intimately, and and replace uh, the staff on that, that entire site. So cut my teeth on that property itself was was just crazy. And then after that, it was like, well, let's just look for more of these similar types. We kind of have this down. We started looking at Houston, we found one in Dallas. We picked up, we picked up two in Houston, one in Dallas. We started looking at Oklahoma and we are picking up the multiple sites in Oklahoma. And you think about what we were doing. We were buying 20 to 30K, 35K a unit. We're getting some bad properties in some trashy areas. now. Did they end up going up in value because of the timing when we bought them? Yeah, I wasn't around to stick. To, I wasn't sticking around for all of that. But I mean, it, it kind of did work in a way. I don't recommend doing it that way, especially not now, because you can't. It's not a good business plan. But you know, at the time, it seemed to make sense, and we continued to buy Oklahoma City, Tulsa. We were branching out. We bought one in like Colleen, Texas, like the random spots. And we just continued to to scale the business and then we were vertically integrated. But I will say, just because you're vertically integrated doesn't mean you know what you're doing. And I don't think that we did. I think we we didn't, we had a weird setup. We tried to keep the overhead light, but it was like calling the property manager every day to check in with them, making them report back to us every single day. Like it was not how you run a management company. So not not everybody is, cut out to do that. You have to hire the right people. You have to hire from the top down into do a management company. I think we we hired too many from the bottom up and that made problems for us when we went through it. But some operated okay, some didn't. Some killed it. I mean, we were in Columbus, Ohio also. That was that was a really good market. And what I found through all this process is owning in multiple states and markets is we never really had an advantage on the market because we didn't know any of them intimately enough to make a big difference and to know where we are buying. And so, that sometimes that's hard to see. If you're trying to go too wide and you're not going deep into a market, you're not gonna learn every single block. And that's really important, because some of these were misses because they, we didn't buy them on the right block. They were in the wrong spot and we didn't have enough knowledge to know better. Uh, we just took a chance. So, what I also learned was having properties with a with a good tailwind in the market makes makes you do a lot better in general because the tailwind will help you perform better it's less of a grind on the management side and you have more things going for it anytime we bought in like a secondary market or we bought in an area that we that was worse or whatever it was and there wasn't a tailwind in that submarket or in the market in general it was a lot harder to run and ultimately those deals didn't do so well so looking to go deep into one or two markets and making sure that you understand them and then having it having the tailwind like having rent the rent growth having the strong economy a lot of job growth things like that are very important to when you're getting into these deals and so i had kind of a cherry pick all over the place every market was a little different some markets there was no rent lift at all some there was a lot more than we expected but we didn't have any rhyme or reason to it, which I think was a big mistake. Now we took action, which is great, but it was not the best strategy, but whatever. We ended up scaling it up to about 3,400 units, all vertically integrated. And that was, so I think we started the company when I was like 25, 26. I had a falling out with my partners around 2016, which is when I was uh, 29 and that whole thing blew up our partnership but i got bought out of the the sites that i was in and the equity that i was in and continued forward but at the end of that breakup with them i was so lost i went traveling because it it was stressful to like breaking up with business partners is kind of like a marriage and you hope that you never have to go through that but it does happen and if you if you get into that type of situation it can be very stressful for a long period of time now Going through the hard times that, I, that I've that i been through since then, I can look back at that time and be like, that was probably the hardest thing I had to deal with. But I got through it. A lot of things happened in that time, trying to get me to get through it mentally. But when it finally happened, I was able to travel the world. And I, had, I became a millionaire. Already was on paper, but it converted. And I became a millionaire at the age of 29. And the funniest thing about all this is I manifested this, since I, I w- actually I was 28 turning 29, I was like right around that time. Ever since I was 18, I said I'm gonna be a millionaire by the time I'm 28. That seemed like the reasonable time frame and I think it was right as I turned 29, I became that millionaire. I was already it, but became it. And that was like the coolest feeling in the world. Now I didn't really even know what was next for me, but at least I had seven figures in my pocket and I could travel the world and I could do whatever I wanted. At that time, and it was liberating and scary at the same time. I'm like, "What's next?" So I realized that there were some skills that I I really wanted to to hone in order to to go and try to restart a business. I didn't know which business I wanted to do. I was didn't want partners, didn't want to deal with any of that. Didn't even really want real estate. I was looking at other businesses, and seeing what I could buy, what businesses could I buy, and like biz, buy, sell, and this could be my future. And I tried so many different avenues, even launched a couple businesses. And I was like, I don't like this, I hate this. Whatever I just built, it's not it's not what I wanna stick around and do. I built like an Uber for tow truck companies that was kind of like pieced together that my friend to this day still thinks is like, and it was an amazing idea and I, I'm stupid for not pursuing it further, but I ended up going back into apartments. I finally, I moved, ended up moving to Scottsdale Arizona, from Chicago. Ended up looking for partners actively. Found Michael and Drew through something, a program they had a long time ago called The Deal Desk where your students could bring deals in and then do them. And I was like, guys, listen, I'm gonna meet, met Drew. He had actually gone to my high school like five years earlier than me, which was crazy. And he lived in Seattle, I lived in Arizona. And then we had a couple calls and I was like, guys, I'm gonna bring you a deal and if i bring you a good deal you want to do it and he's like yeah sure so first deal was kind of a dud then i brought a second deal and that was a great deal it was in a weird market but it was a great deal and so we ended up partnering up on that deal and i think if anyone that's listening is just getting started you don't have to like commit to more than a deal with anyone you're trying to partner with just commit to one deal and see how it goes That's what I did with them. And this is the hardest deal of my entire life to do. It was, it took a year. I was not getting paid. We had risk capital in the deal, so earnest money. We were going there constantly. We couldn't raise the money for the deal because it was an El Paso. No one even looked at it as like a market that was viable. So we couldn't raise the money. ended up after a year's time working with these guys every day, like a job, like multiple hours, trying and trying and trying to get this deal closed. After all my experience, I mean, what an ego blow, right? It was, I mean, it was a 545 unit deal, so it was a big one, but the equity raise is probably like 9 million. Through a year of working this thing, we lost it and lost all the earnest money. I had made no money and I was like, shit, that was my way back into the game, was that deal. And it wasn't. <laughs> and. Luckily, we had a student actually bring us a different deal, and that one was in Arkansas, it was in Little Rock, and we had that one, and we were about to go on our contract on it. So we we're like, okay, this, this one could work. So we I stuck around, helped work the deal, and then we we ended up working on that one next. So after all this time, even though the deal didn't work out and there was no like pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, I had proven myself to two guys that had you know, 800 apartments and they were looking to scale their business that I was worthy of continuing forward with them on future deals, they saw what I was able to do and they felt comfortable continuing with me as a partner. We had a like a matrix at the time, so partners that would come on, we could add their percentage of ownership up based on their value. That they brought into the deal, there was different categories, risk capital, balance sheet, all these all the different ones. and it would it would flush out to like a a number. And so we would do we did our next deal that way. And this next deal, we got into it. I remember the day we closed that deal to think about this for me, this was like three years away from my partnership, my last partnership blowing up, worked a whole year without a deal. That didn't work out. I was like, I couldn't believe it. I was heavily doubting myself. And when I closed that first deal, after three years, I was in tears. I was crying so much. That was, that was a very special moment for me because it had been so long and I'd wanted it so bad. And I finally, we got our deal. And then the law of the first deal kicked in again, even though I had already owned 3,400 units at a certain point. We had another deal after that, then more, and then pretty pretty soon we had ten deals together under our belt as a partnership, and we built something that's way far advanced on the construction side and and on the operation side. I mean, we're really, I think we're really doing well on those things, and I got a chance to kind of rebuild my entire business the way I really wanted to. For the first business I had, we were more kind of like just winging it. And kind of like slumlordish, like not spending money on the sites and things like that. This time, I got to redo it. I got to do it myself with two guys that were real, had a ton of integrity. And my last situation, I couldn't say the same necessarily, but it was just the whole not not them specifically, but just the whole situation was was pretty rough. When you're a essentially a slumlord, there's a lot of a lot of hard decisions that get made and. And I'd never enjoyed being that type of owner. I always wanted to improve the properties. I always wanted to make them the best communities that people could live in. So this this new approach, it just took more money. You had to, you took more money, you go in, you make these deals, work well, you're not strapped for cash all the time. You're not lining your pockets. You're just making them work with the capital that you raise. And it was a much better approach and I think The business plan continued to stay the same and it continued to work, but the capital structure does matter quite a bit. So there are a few deals with variable rate loans that we're trying to work through right now, but the ones that stayed with fixed rate, I mean, we're just running them as normal. And you definitely have to pay attention to the capital structure and where things are in the market. Multifamily is cyclical. Any real estate is cyclical. And it's hard to know when those things are when things are changing. A lot of people thought the tides were changing in 2015. That's when I was like, I was like, oh, this is this is probably the peak right here. And then it went on for a number of years after that, right? It went six years after that, which is crazy. So if you didn't do anything in those six years just sitting and waiting on the sidelines, nothing happened. So yeah, it was it was really a ride. But I think along the way there were the significant moments that helped shape me and most of those moments, actually all of them that I can point to that were the biggest moments were the down moments. When I was in the dumps, when I lost everything, when I had, I thought I had nothing left, those were the times when I, I looked back on them and they were the most valuable to me. And that's how life works. You get, you're not always gonna be winning. You're gonna be losing sometimes and when you're losing, you have to be able to pick yourself back up. Take you have to be able to take a punch, a lot of punches, in order to make it work. So it's, I think it's the the continuous pursuit of happiness that everybody's after. Like they're, it's it's that constant pursuit, and they want something. They want to become a millionaire. I think when I become a millionaire, I will be happy. It never works like that. It only works. You're happiest when you're producing something. And you're bridging the gap from where you think you should be and who you are. When that gap is smaller, you're happier. And it comes and goes. It's not going to be up all the time. It's, it's not going to be down all the time. It could be right, right in the middle. And and so I would consider now being one of the times that's that's harder, one of the down times with given what's happened in the markets and just in general. And I know that it's short-lived, that I know that that's I'm gonna use everything that I've learned in the past to get me out of it. And then when we get on the other side, there's gonna be something amazing. And it's been that cycle throughout my entire life in real estate, in my past business dealings, and everything in life is like that. So if you guys are just getting started out there, if you don't know what your path is gonna be, doesn't matter what age you are, just get started, just start taking action and you'll figure it out along the way. Real estate has many forms. I just happen to be lucky to land into one of the, I think one of the best asset classes that exist and figure out my path there. My mom is a realtor, so I didn't really want to do what she did and I, I was like, well, well, the real estate's so broad, I, I, there's something that I can, I probably figure some, out, some path out, just got started. I just got into it, I got into something weird wholesaling D-class properties on the South side. It's weird, but it can turn into bigger things. There's a lot of doors ahead of you that you don't even know exist that you haven't opened. You have to open a door to get to that one. And so taking a shot, taking action, I think definitely in my story was what got me to this place. And it, it just took a lot of persistence, a lot of grit. And that's gonna make the difference. And the time, the time has to go. You have to put in the time and be able to leverage your time in order to get anywhere. So with that, guys, I just wanted to share that story with you. I thought it might be interesting. I've done a few of these in the past where I've told my story in, in details and some, some of the fun ones with the South Side stuff, and I probably have more of those to tell. But for right now, I wanted to give you guys an overview of a little bit about my past how I overcame a few things, some lessons along the way, and why I, you know, still love real estate. It's it's just an amazing place to be. So if you're listening to this, thanks for tuning in. Really appreciate it. And I'll catch you guys next time. Thanks for listening. Take the next step toward financial freedom by downloading Michael's free ebook, the secret to raising money to buy your first apartment building. Head over to themichaelblock.com slash ebook. To get the free training,